0: Good morning, Zoe. I hope your heart is filled with joy as mine is. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And there's many things to celebrate uh, today. Number one, we have a we have the privilege of worshiping God freely in the United States. Let's start there. And secondly, I just want to thank uh, Elder Elder Dennis and Sister Perilla for their wonderful sharing of the Word today, and offering, in prayer, and in communion. It just I've really enjoyed. Uh, Just celebrating God in various ways this morning, and we're going to continue with it this morning, getting into the Word of God and continuing our series. I'm going to start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father God, I just thank you and praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And I just thank you that you are uh, a a God of, of peace, a God of joy. I thank you that you're a God of clarity. That you are leading us and guiding us. That as we seek your face, you are clarifying uh, who, who you are to us, uh, who we are to you, and, and how you want us to navigate this world. We bless you and thank you. We pray that the word would touch our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue with my series, but obviously I need to change it. The title that is, we have been in a series on Ephesians, and I had a title that had the word January in it, so I got to change the title, but I was going to change the title anyway because we're in a, se- in a different section of Ephesians. So uh, we continued our series last week on Paul's letter to Ephesians, but we will continue Ephesians today with a different title, and today's title is Don't Trip A Crip Walk Tutorial. Don't Trip a Crip Walk tutorial. Now, that doesn't mean I'm about to dance for you because then I probably need a real tutorial. And you you never know, maybe I'll come out before this series is over and do that for you. But uh, by Crip Walk, I don't mean uh, the dance, the popular dance that we've seen popularized of late, okay? For our purposes, Crip stands for Christ Revealed in Prayer. Christ revealed in prayer. In other words, this lesson is about how drawing close to Jesus affects our walk. How drawing close to Jesus affects our walk. And for the first half of Ephesians, as we talked about, it's all about heaven's mentality. It's all about who we are in Christ. It's all about what we believe, right? And we need the resource of who we are in Christ. We need the resource of where we sit in heavenly places to be able to live and to walk the way we should walk on the earth. And in Ephesians and much of the rest of the Bible, walking is a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for life. So your walk refers to how you live. How you live. It's one thing to believe. It's one thing to understand who we are in Christ, but how does that translate into how you behave on the earth? The first three chapters of Ephesians focus on what we believe, but the second three chapters focus on how we behave. And today we'll begin to focus on the second half of Ephesians. But before we do, there's some loose ends from the first half I need to tie. And I didn't finish covering the first half of Ephesians, and I won't be able to cover all of it in detail. So I'm really gonna highlight the key points of what we didn't cover, and then we're gonna go straight into chapter four, which is the beginning of the second half of Ephesians. So let's jump into this. So briefly, I want to review Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 and the qualities that we know we have in Christ, and they are this, we are blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, sons, redeemed, forgiven, wealthy, wise, heirs, sealed, in two other words we're going to talk about today, seated poetry poetry. We're going to talk about that today. That's actually in Ephesians. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the, the seated concept in Ephesians chapter one. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter two, verses four through six. And we'll read it here and then we'll expound on it. It says, but God being rich in mercy, we talked about that last week, God is comparing, Paul is comparing God, Jehovah, to Diana, the goddess that was celebrated in Ephesus. And the temple that, that where they worshiped her was also a bank. So she was, a so- and, her- and her image was on the money. But God is saying, look, there's a God we serve who's also rich. In fact, he's richer than Diana, and he's rich in mercy, and he's rich in grace, and there's unsearchable riches in Christ. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we talked about that last week, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6 is what I want you to focus on. Verse 6 here and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to focus on the word seated. Remember I told you about the 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 writing by Watchman Nee. He has a book he wrote several decades ago called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's an amazing analysis of the book of Ephesians. He isolates those three main uh, metaphors in the book of Ephesians. It talks about us being seated. It talks about walking. And at the end of Ephesians, it talks about standing. We're going to focus on the seated part of this. So in this context, seating represents authority, but also rest and completion. And I want to quote something from Watchman Nee, from his book. He comments on this. He says, quote, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Ephesians opens with the statement that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we are invited at the very outset to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us. Not to set out and try to attain it for ourselves, That is the reality we're invited in, in Ephesians, the first half of Ephesians, that we are seated. We must first know our identity, destiny. We must first know that our identity, destiny, and security are settled. Settled. Settled in heaven before we can walk with confidence on the earth. And to use the adoption metaphor that we talked about earlier in our series about you know, the, the Father God has adopted us into his family. Could you imagine being an adopted child and the whole time you're never really sure if your family has accepted you? If you're actually a real member of the family, if you, you actually have the inheritance and then you always feel like you have to prove yourself to show that you're a member of the, fa- of the family, that's where a lot of Christians are. They have professed Christ, but they are not settled in their identity in Christ. They're not settled in the fact that God loves them, that they are forgiven and wealthy and wise and adopted and sons and redeemed and all the things that we said, they're not seated. They're up trying to make all those things happen when Jesus Christ has already done it. And once you're settled, then you can walk. You see, we live in a time where there's a lot of movement and commotion and there's anxiety, but as Christians, we have to be settled. We have to know that we're first seated. And it's from that place of rest that we walk. We don't make actions out of our anxiety, out of the concerns about our changing world. We first know know by faith that we're seated and it's already done. We're seated and it's already done. That's a powerful reality. Let's continue. I'm going to skip a couple of verses and go to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Again, we're just, te- we're just connecting with a few points from the first half of Ephesians, and then we're going to get into Ephesians 4. But Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to focus on the word workmanship. The word workmanship uh, is translated from the Greek word poema, Right? And poema is where we get, is the source of the English word poem, right? So, so this is this is really significant here, uh, because in the ancient world, and when we think about poetry, especially in the ancient world, in the ancient world, they would make these long epic poems. Some of you have heard about the poem, the Iliad or the Odyssey. These are long epic uh, poems. Those are long epic Greek poems. And what was traditional when people wrote these long poems was to, in the beginning of the poem, they would make an appeal to the muse. Right? The muse is basically, in, in Greek mythology, a muse was a goddess. There were nine muses and you would, you, would, you would pray to the muse and say, hey, fill me with inspiration so that I can write the poem. In fact, the word inspiration actually means filled with breath or filled with the spirit. So essentially, as they were asking the muse for inspiration, they were basically saying, Fill me with the Spirit so I can write. Give me your breath. Give me your inspiration, right? Inspire, fill with the Spirit. So in essence, we are God's poetry. He has breathed life into us as we saw in Genesis where, you know, God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. And as he breathed into us, we become his poetry. Poetry. His expression of creativity. And it's almost like, you know, it's, it's one spirit, as we're going to talk about today, but it, it, it sounds different depending on what he blow, he's blowing into. I'm a saxophone player, right? When I blow into a saxophone, it sounds like a saxophone. But if I take that same breath and, and blow into a flute, it'll sound like a flute. If I take that same breath and blow into a tuba, it'll sound like a tuba. And if we extend the analogy, you don't actually blow on a piano, but by extension, you blow or you tap the piano. When you tap the piano, it sounds like a piano. And that's what God is in our lives. He blows his breath upon us, and we are expressions of his creativity. We are his poetry. His breath gives us life, beauty, and glory. So let me sum up Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and also Ephesians 3. This is a large passage of Scripture, but because I want to end our series on time, I don't want to make, have part 14 of this series, I'm going to move on a little bit so we get to the second half of Ephesians, and I'm just going to highlight a few points that we didn't read in detail. So the big idea behind Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians 2, and all of Ephesians 3 is this. The Ephesian church was multi-ethnic. And the two biggest subgroups were Jews and Gentiles. God tells is telling Gentiles that as adopted children, they are real children. You may not be Jewish and you may not have known God in the wilderness and you may not have that tradition, but you're my child. You're my child, right? The same thing you would say to an adopted child. Maybe you have birth children, but you've also adopted children. And you tell your adopted children, you didn't come out of my womb or I didn't birth you physically, but you're my child. You're in this family. You have the family name. You are as much my child as the one I birthed. And that's what he's telling to the Gentiles that you were once afar, but now you are part of the of the commonwealth of Israel. And we share one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And Gentiles have all the affection, rights and privileges of sonship. Remember when we said sonship, it, it, the focus is it, it, what it means is that we have the, the status of the favored son. Making reference to Roman family law, which I won't re- review right now, we've had those lessons. But everyone in the family has the status of the favored son. That's what that's referring to, and it says they are an official part of the royal family, and that's how we should look at it. We're part of the royal family, and that's where Ephesians four kicks off here. Okay, so 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna take that point about the royal family. And I'm going to, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Even if you're at home in your bed in your slippers, you're welcome to stand with us. Uh, We're an independent charismatic church, but a little liturgy doesn't hurt. So we will stand up and read the Word of God here. And I'm reading from the ESV, uh, but I'll read it this way. We'll say Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Here we go. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host captives. He had a, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He had he who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 in love. Let's praise God for the reading of his word. You may be seated. So we're going to unpack that a bit. And just to remind you, look, in the, in the Old Testament, or in, even in the New Testament, actually, there was a, it was a common practice to read scripture this way. This is how people would have encountered Ephesians. Somebody would have read the entirety of the letter to everyone. And there are several instances in the Old Testament where people stood and people read the law of God. So there's edification there. But we're going to get to this. So there's principles. This principle of walking is what this second half of Ephesians is going to get into. And I said before that uh, you need to, as we we are adopted into God's family, and that means we are royalty literally. We are literal royalty because God is enthroned. I was re- just reading a Psalm recently and I was reading that passage as God is enthroned. God is a king. That means that everyone in his family is part of a royal family. But guess what? And especially this day and age, as the royal family has become a spectacle that people all around the world keep track of, when you're a royal, you can't just walk any kind of way you walk, literally. Royals literally have to walk a certain kind of way. They have to talk a certain kind of way. They have The way they carry themselves, the way they engage in conversation, the way they take photographs, all of that, they, 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 they can't just do anything that comes to their mind. We saw recently a couple of members of the royal family, and we know some of that had to do with some racial dynamics going on in the paparazzi. We understand that. Uh, But but a couple of members of the royal family, as we saw, uh, they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Because they didn't want to have to deal with all the demands of being a royal. Because it began to undercut their expression of who they were. But in God, you know, look, it's the same thing. If you want to be a royal, you got to act like a royal. There are expectations. You're in this family. You have the family name. You have to act like your king. So let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, we saw, we we went through the first half of Ephesians and all those words, blessed and, and wise and wealthy and redeemed and forgiven. Yeah, now walk in a way that's worthy of who you are. That means how you live. That means act like you are part of the royal family. You should consider Googling that at some point this week, the royal family and the things they have to do. It's a lot. It's a lot of demands, okay? But they are resourced with the capacity to do that because the state obviously sets aside funds for them to do what they do. But, but, but God is calling us to something higher, and that, that's the important part of it. A lot of people think that they, uh, you know, a lot of times the focus in our, as new Christians come to Christ, is we try to get them to walk, before they've actually been seated. We're trying to get them to change their behavior before they understand who they are and it's the other way around. Understand that you're seated and from that place, ah, oh, I see, I gotta change my walk. I gotta change my walk. But if you attempt to go into that walk without resource by who you are in Christ, by faith in Christ Jesus, by the empowerment of the Spirit, then it's just willpower and you trying to subscribe to somebody's rules and expectations. That's not what this is. This is a walk that comes out of our faith, that comes out of our rest, that comes out of the fact I'm already in the family. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to prove that I'm righteous. I don't have to prove that I'm a holy. I don't have to look a certain way for other people's benefit. I'm already pleased by my Father, so now let me act like I'm a child that's well-pleased by their father. So the first principle there is we walk with dignity, right? The next principle of walking is we don't walk alone. And we see that in Ephesians 4, 2, 3, 3. 2 through 3. It says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I'm gonna read that again: humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it amazes me. There's a there's very popular these days. You know, you see you see the YouTube videos and things, and people says people who've left the church. They don't believe in church anymore. They, they're spiritual. They maybe say they love God and love Jesus, but they just don't go to church anymore. And they have their reasons. I won't get into them. I won't get into those reasons. I'm not suggesting that, that there aren't things that, that prompt them to, to, to have a hostile attitude toward church. There, there are things that happen that, that do that to people. Okay, But when we're with Jesus, our love for Jesus makes us eager to preserve the unity a sign of your fidelity to Christ is that you're eager to preserve the unity. And why do you have to preserve it? Because it doesn't happen by itself. We got to stay or do our part to stay connected. And let me say this, you can't say you love Jesus if you don't love his church. You can't say you love Jesus Uh, If you don't love the church, why? Because the Bible says, we know by analogy and by all those other kind of things that the church is the bride of Christ. And just like I say, you can't say you love me and you don't love my wife. Those things don't go together. You can't be nice in my face and say, whatever you want, Dr. Joshua, but your wife, nah, I don't want to talk to her. You, you, You don't really love me then. You don't really like me then. So, yes, the, the church has issues. Yes, the church needs to uh, uh, be, be refined by the Spirit, but, you know, just like you do with your family. You, I could talk about my brother, but you can't talk about my brother. You, you can't do that. <laughs> so you want to be right with me? You got to be right with them. And that's what God is saying to us. That's part of our walk. we do not we don't We're, we're not lone, loners. There's times to have time to solitude, but those are temporary. We come back to Christian community. That's a vital part of our life, and it's, it's unbiblical to be isolated like that. That's not in the Scripture. Let's continue with this, right? So the, the other principle here is similar to we don't walk alone. We also walk together. So you can be with somebody, but that doesn't mean you are together, right? Right? You, that doesn't mean you're on the same page. That doesn't mean you're in lockstep. Okay? So some of us are like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm at church. Okay, I'm listening to the word. I'm in here for praise and worship. I'm tuned in, but you're not together. You, you're just doing it out of obligation. You're doing it to show that you're with us, but you're not really with us. And by us, it's with Jesus. Why? We have to be eager to preserve the unity. Eager. And there are qualities that help us to do that. And some of those were listed in the verse we read the various fruit of the Spirit, love, and, and all gentleness, those kinds of things. Let me read this passage here Ephesians 4 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. In other words, we are one big family united by the Spirit. It's not a separate, you know, part of a separate family that's over there somewhere in the corner. We are one family so that we've got to do this together. You know, you live in, you live in a household with somebody and there's a bunch of you in the house. You gotta, you gotta, we got to be in lockstep. Okay, so how are we going to do chores? How are we going to do meals? How are we going to do rent? You know, we got to figure that out. You got to work together. It can't be separate people kind of doing their thing. It, it, it It requires us to be together. And that's not just physically. That's mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. When we come back physically to church, our mindset should be we're doing this together. We're in it together, not our separate agendas. I'm just here for church to get what I need. That's not the Bible. That's not our walk. That's not a, what a royal. That's not what a, what a royal does. We're royalty. And this is how royalty acts. Let's continue. We walk with resources. So Ephesians 4 7 says this but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what does that mean? That we all receive some aspect of Christ's ministry through grace. Some aspect of the ministry perspective and attitude of Christ is highlighted in our lives. Well, I said earlier that we are God's poetry. We're all different expressions of his creativity, and we all have a little different piece of his ministry, sort of like when you see children and different ones have different aspects of their parents' characters, qualities, or what have you. The same with us. We have attributes of Christ's ministry. We have things that that come from our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so by grace, we have these gifts, and those gifts are designed to be used. And it's our privilege to partner with the Lord, to serve the Lord by using those gifts. We won't spend a lot of time today talking about those gifts, but, but, but just know that we have that grace. And there are different categories of gifts. I'll talk about them briefly. Uh, in, this, in, in Ephesians, it talks about what some people just call the ministry gifts, um, which are referring to ministers, essentially, and their specific roles. There's other lists of gifts. There's a list in Romans that has to deal—some uh, people call them grace gifts. And they're, they're, they, a lot of times they affect your personality. Um, they have to do with leadership and service and giving and encouragement and prophecy and all those other kind of things. And then you have another list in Corinthians that are the gifts of the Holy Spirit— uh, and they have to do with speaking in tongues and, and prophecy and discernment of spirits and miracles and those kinds of things. And what some people believe is that the, 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 the gifts in Ephesians are the gifts that come from Christ. The gifts in Corinthians are the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, and the gifts in Romans are the ones that come from the Father. That's how some people kind of think of them. But We'll talk about that at some other time. We'll focus on the gifts that are listed here in Ephesians. So here we go, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. And I'm going to say something brief about this here. In Ephesians 8, it says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in explaining this. I'm just going to give you the main idea and I'm not I'm picking my spot so that I can finish Ephesians, but essentially Paul is revisiting, he revisits and actually rewrites an Old Testament passage to explain how Christ gave gifts to the church. And so I'll let you kind of explore that on your own, but that's basically what happened. He's looking at an Old Testament passage And he rewrites it a bit, and he uses it to explain the way Christ gives gifts to the church. And what are the gifts that Christ gives to the church? Well, Ephesians 4.11 tells us. says this. In Ephesians 4.11, it says this. And he gave, these are the gifts that God gave the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. The shepherds and teachers. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I'll just say these briefly. Uh, Some people look at this list as a group of five gifts, and some people look at them as a group of four gifts, and it has to do with how you interpret the Greek. And I I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I don't think I worry about it too much uh, because some people just think pastors and teachers are the same person. And some people think there's pastors, and there's some people who just teach and don't pastor. And I, I, again, I don't get too much into it. The, the, the main idea here is that there are categories of ministry leadership uh, that God gives to the church. And I like to think of them as God's assistant coaches. Okay, if you're familiar with sports, and you should, especially today, this is Super Bowl Sunday. We have the Chiefs playing the Buccaneers and what what an epic series that we're going to watch. And let me tell you that on each of the sidelines of those teams, there's a head coach and there are assistant coaches. And in football, there are specialty coaches. So you have a, a coach just for defense, a, a coach just for special teams, a, 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 a running back coach, a, a lineman coach. And so they all have specialties that focus on an aspect of the total coaching picture. All right. So We can think of the gifts that come from Jesus that way. Jesus is the ultimate uh, ministry leader, but various aspects of who he is are emphasized in various specialty coaches. Apostles have do particular things. I'm not going to get into the details of it right now. Prophets do particular things. Evangelists do particular things. Shepherds and teachers do particular things to, 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 to move us forward where God wants us to go. So we talked about walking. So, so that section talked about that we walk with resources, right? So we've talked about that we don't walk alone. We walk together. We walk with resources. And then this next section of Ephesians deal with we walk with a purpose. So all of these coaches, these assisted coaches, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the evangelist, the prophet, what is their aim? Ephesians 4.13 tells us. Until we all attain, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4.12 says this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I'm going to focus on the first half of that sentence. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's a powerful statement because that's a statement we don't read very carefully a lot. We think the work of the ministry is done by the pastor. The work of the ministry is done by the evangelist. No. The evangelist and the pastor and the prophet, they equip the laity to do the work of the ministry. So, in essence, you are a minister. Now, you may not be ordained, you may not teach the word of God in a formal way, but where you are, you are a de facto spiritual paramedic. Your context, your job, your neighborhood, where you are, You are wired to do ministry, and the ministry gifts are designed to equip you to do that. Think about it the laity does the work of the ministry, not the ministers. Think of it like this athletes play, coaches coach. The the, the coaches don't get on the field and play football. That's for Tom Brady, that's for Patrick Mahomes. That's not for the coaches. They are on the sideline coaching you so that you maximize your talent, so that you're effective on the field. There's a ministry God has called you to, and it may not look like you being on a stage in, in a church preaching like this, but God has called you to reach your coworkers. He called you to reach the kids at the YMCA. He called you to reach your neighborhood, your family members, your extended family. That's your ministry. I'm not there. You're there. And church is designed to equip you to minister effectively. What's the other principle here? We walk forward, not in place. Ephesians 4.13 says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's our takeaway from this? Well, look. The purpose of ministry is Christian adulthood, both individually and collectively. Growth. We have to mature. We have to mature. We have to move forward in life and we have to mature. We can't stay connected to childish things. Some people get comfortable there, uh, they have adult bodies but childish perspectives. And they're not growing in their faith. They know about the same things about Jesus they knew 10 years ago. And they're not moving forward. We have to make our maturity our priority and to engage in church with the intentionality of growing and saying, okay, Lord, how can I grow today? What can I hear today? that can help me to grow as I spend time in my devotion and I listen for your voice and I read your word, Lord, how can I grow? As I come to Bible study and I go to the Sunday service as I'm wor- Lord, as I'm worshiping today with the congregation, even virtually, Lord, how can I grow? That's the attitude. That's the purpose of ministry, that we grow. But it continues, right? So we walk forward, not in place. Another principle is we stay in our lane. Verse 14, verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let me explain this. This this scripture paints a picture of the present spiritual condition of the social media community. People to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by everything they see, everything they click and I want, to take, I want to connect this back to the point I made about isolation, people leaving the church and substituting spiritual substance for spiritual shallowness because it's so easy for them to find things on the internet. It makes them feel like they're connected, but they're not because there's no depth. When we isolate ourselves from the larger Christian community, we are being childish. I don't like what they're preaching over there. I'm going to go over here. I like that better. I don't like that. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here. Or I'll just stay home and just, I'll find my own pastor. i listen to 15 different ministries, which I listen to a lot of ministries too. I got my playlist. I got folks I like to listen to. I'm not saying you don't do that. But it's not good as a substitute for spiritual death and Christian and connectedness to spiritual community. When people leave the church to find spirituality in isolation, they think they are departing because they are enlightened. But their separation from their brothers and sisters in Christ is really a sign of immaturity. That's not maturity. And I want to I quote, we're almost done here, but I want to quote some things briefly from a book. Uh, let me make this statement first before I quote. Uh, depth of relationship with God requires depth of relationship with Christian community. They're inseparable. You can't be deep with God, but you have no human relationships of value spiritually. God tells us himself, if you love me, you love your brother and sister. You can't say you love me and can't stand church folks. Now, they may get on your nerves, but if I'm a Christian, I'm eager to maintain the unity. Because my love for Jesus is so deep, I'll endure the offense. I'll try to reconcile. I'm going to try to figure a way to work it out because I love Jesus. And this is his church, so I'm going to respect it, even if it's flawed. I'm quoting from Paul Miller here, my next statement here, from a book called A Praying Life, a book I highly recommend. It's a fantastic book on prayer. Uh, But here's what he says here. Cynical people think they, quote, see what is really going on. Cynicism feels real and authentic which gives it an elite status since authenticity is one of the last remaining public virtues in our culture. In other words, people respect keeping it real, keeping it 100, you know, my truth. They, 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 they say that so that we acknowledge authenticity and cynical people think, I know the truth, other people don't, I'm being real. But really, and I'll continue to quote him, to be cynical is to be distant. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know, Cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. Cynicism is not your friend as it relates to the church. Final passage, and then we're going to end here. The final lesson here with walking as we walk in love. Ephesians four fifteen through 16 says this. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do we get from this? Love implies a physical human community. If I love you, I don't want to only engage with you through a computer screen. I want more. And that is what God is calling us to right now. Some of you are out there, and I know we're physically distanced, and depending on where you live around the world or the country, you might have more freedom or less freedom, and I get all that. But God is still calling us to connectedness, first with Him, but secondly, to His people. And folks, we have flaws. I'm not going to hide that. I can't hide our flaws. We, We have them. But yet in all of that, God is calling his kids to work together. If you're a parent, you understand this. Doesn't it grieve your heart to see your kids fighting? Doesn't it grieve your heart to see your kids not getting along? What do you think the Father God feels when he sees his kids saying, I don't want to be with you? You have an opportunity this morning. It's really simple. There's a prayer I'd like you to pray right now. If for you, you have never come into fellowship with Jesus Christ ever, or perhaps you have been a part of Christian community but have never taken it seriously, or perhaps you need to recommit to Jesus. Any of those things, I want to pray a prayer, have you repeat after me, and I want to connect you. Well, God's going to connect you with him, number one, but we want to connect you with some folks in our Christian community who can walk alongside of you. Repeat after me, please. Dear God, I come to you, and I submit my life to Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross, For my sins shed his blood and was resurrected. And in his resurrection, he freed me from sin. And I thank you, God, that I can now live a righteous life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I can continue to live holy like I'm a member of the royal family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to text Zoe Sage to the number on your screen and we're going to keep our word and connect you with some folks that have walked where you walked and understand your journey and we can begin to walk together. I want to say I want to say praise God for this special Sunday of just understanding who we are in Christ and the walk we have in him. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I know it's special cuz of the cuz of the Super Bowl. So enjoy that as well and I will see you next week. God bless you.